0: Welcome to the Profitable Public Speaking Podcast. I am your host, Mark Birdie, CEO and founder of the Content Marketing Plaza, bringing you two new episodes each week where I and top-level guests teach you how to get on more stages and make a profit from your speaking. And one of the things we have to do before we uh, get on the stage and make the profit and do all those great things is conquer our fear of speaking. So for some people, they're really confident about getting on the stage. There's still going to be some stuff in you for this episode, but this is a stronger focus for someone who's a little fearful of getting on the stage. It could also be for someone who's fearful about talking about a certain part of their life on the stage that they feel like they need to talk about a certain story. So we've got a lot of good stuff for you in this episode. The guest who joins us today, she is a presentation and confidence coach who helps new and seasoned professionals overcome the fear of public speaking while communicating effortlessly and effectively across different media. She is also the producer and host of the TV show Women Inspired and author of Delight in the Limelight. Today's guest for episode 14 of the Profitable Public Speaking Podcast is none other than Linda Ugalo. Linda, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: I'm excited to be here with you and I love your enthusiasm.
0: Linda, it is so awesome to have you on the show. Definitely looking forward to talking about how we can bust some of these fears that people have around public speaking and I feel like everyone starts off with it, very fearful, because not only is it a new thing, but as you get on more stages, you find yourself in front of hundreds of people, which uh, if you're starting can be intimidating, You definitely grow into it. But I'm wondering if you could first talk about your journey into public speaking, how you got started, and how you came over any fear that you may have had.
1: Well, I am different than a lot of confidence coaches in that I was not a natural Public speaking was always terrifying to me for almost all of my life, even though I've been a performer for more than three decades. So I, I've been part of a women's world music group and I've been their principal dancer and I sing and I play instruments and all that nonverbal stuff. Well, singing is verbal, but we're singing in different, langu- in different languages. <laughs> uh, that was all cool. You know, I, got, I certainly went through a process and getting comfortable on that level, but I hated, hated, hated introducing songs. That would just uh, tie me in knots. And it wasn't until I became an online entrepreneur in 2014. I think in 2015, it's when Periscope came out. Periscope was a phone app that allowed you to broadcast like a live TV show was the first one, or Meerkat was another one. Damn. All you had to do was type in a title, you press broadcast, and people flooded in from all over the world to watch. And I was really committed to building a following by, and made a commitment to broadcasting every single day. The only problem was that just typing in the title or um, writing down my talking notes, any of that stuff, my heart just was ridiculously hard in my chest. It was like racing and... and Like, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. So what I decided to do was Google how to get over my nerves. (laughs) So I I told myself, it's about me, it's about my audience, that fear was fueled to get energized. And every day I tried something new, affirmations, meditations, jumping jacks, power poses, you name it, I tried it. And then came day 75. And I thought why is my heart still racing? Surely after 12 weeks, 12 weeks of broadcasting daily, I would feel somewhat more confident, but I didn't. Uh, You know, practice was not the panacea for fear I had hoped it would be. Yes, managing the fear allowed me to get through it, but that fear was waiting for me, needing to be dealt with each and every day. And I just hated this feeling of fear and asked, how could I get rid of it? And could I get rid of it? And that's when I step back and I thought, okay, Linda, if someone came to you to get over this problem. Now, I'm a, I am ai have a master's degree in expressive therapies, I have a psychology degree. I've done a lot of self-help and years of therapy. So I have a lot of tools in my basket, but I'd never really used it. So I said, if someone came to you, what would you help them? How would you help them? And I made a list of all the tools that I had. And then I thought, okay, before I like attack this thing, what is, what is this fear? What is it trying to say? And I closed my eyes to connect with what it felt like and what the words would be and what came back was, I'm going to be attacked. I thought, attacked? Have I been attacked? I had, in fact, as a kid. I had been the good girl of the family and mom would glare at my two older sisters and say, why can't you girls be more like Linda? And I knew what was coming next. As soon as mom was out of sight, my sisters charged, kicked me in the shins, shut up, stupid. You know, they'd say to me and, and then it hit me. I realized, oh my gosh, the reason why I don't feel comfortable on camera or in front of an audience is because there was part of me that remembers it was dangerous to be the center of attention. And as soon as I realized that, and there was a bit more too, because I loved my sisters and I desperately wanted them to love me. But as long as I was the center of attention in the way that my mom put me, I knew I would never get the love that I was craving. So it was risky. Physically, getting attacked, and two, losing the love. And when I checked out, now, I checked this out in myself to see, is this still, like, true for me? Do I think that my sisters, because we're friends now. We've been friends for decades. You know, that was a long time ago. I had no idea this was something that was active. But when I thought about, if I succeed at what I do, will they? am I afraid I'll lose their love? And I did. I felt afraid that I would lose their love, and it flabbergasted me. And now then, with with the tools I had, I could clear those things away. And then I thought, oh, well, what else is there in my psychic closet? You know, like, where else might I have been put down or shamed or blamed or hurt? Or I just kind of, like, lay in bed at night going through everything that I could imagine. And within a week, I was transformed. I felt like all that stuff that had been getting triggered and I didn't realize it was stuff getting triggered was resolved and I could truly be present. And that's when I thought, oh my gosh, I wonder if this would help other people. Wow. And because everyone has their own stories. I mean, my sisters were jealous, but for someone else, it might be something different. I didn't know, but I wanted to find out. And what I discovered was it's true that. Fear is not some random emotion without a cause. No, if you have fear, that it's kind of like the tip of the iceberg. It's the part that you can see, but there's this whole evidence underneath the water that it's connected to. It's almost like, um, I I had this metaphor come to my mind the other day. Uh, I used to, before I was an online entrepreneur, I did a stint as an organic farmer. And you know how everyone is trying to get rid of dandelions in their lawn, and yeah, there's yeah. this multi million dollar industry dousing mm-hmm. our really? lawns with chemicals, Roundup, and this horrible cancer causing glyphosate. And, or you know, you might dig them out because you don't want to use chemicals, but you're trying to get rid of the dandelions. Of course, some people say eat your dandelions or make tea out of them. But when I was a farmer, there was this whole perspective of what is the dandelion trying to tell you about your soil. And in the case of dandelions, it's that your soil is compacted. And if you loosen up the soil, you won't see dandelions there because they won't need to be there and the plants will flourish. I see it similarly too, that we kind of douse our fears with either drugs or alcohol or... um, pushing it away, trying to ignore it, you know, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. Whereas if we take a look at it and say, what message does this have for me? And if I go allow myself to drop into what it's trying to tell me and solve for that, that original um, evidence or that original core, it could be a core wound. It doesn't have to be a wound. It could be other things which we can get into later. But when you solve for those things, then it's you don't have that pulling you back anymore. You're not dragging around that chain and ball.
0: I mean, that, that's some really great insights right there. I feel like there are a lot of people who, uh, they, they're, they're fearful of public speaking because that crazy study, it's like people fear public speaking more than death. but with a fear, there's always something behind it. Uh, for Linda, it was uh, her experience of being the center of attention that having a negative effect initially And then that carried over into other areas like public speaking. So it could be something that happened way back in your childhood or uh, something that's a little uh, closer to now, but still pretty far back that uh, has a very subtle impact on you to this day. So I really like the idea of analyzing yourself and seeing what could have caused uh, the fear just like based on some past events that made you feel a certain way that's carried over. So. I feel like that will help a lot of people. One other great thing you mentioned is there are people who they will just try to stuff their fear away and not really uh, acknowledge it. And what I mean by that is not really try to do anything. They'll just act like it's not there, even though it's obviously there. Uh, So how can we get better at uh, acknowledging the fear, being able to dissect it like you were able to, instead of just like pushing it away and just hoping that it never pops up again?
1: Well, you know, everybody is at a different stage or in a different place. There are some people who, first of all, might enjoy the adrenaline rush of being having all eyes on you. There are some people who have learned to manage their fear. I, I had a client who is a very well-paid public speaker. And in fact, I was getting help from her in terms of developing my keynote talk. And when she heard about my work, she said, you know, I want to work with you because I'm on stage all the time. I, I, you know, get paid well, but I just feel like it's not as fun as I'd like it to be. It's kind of like I I dread it. I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, you know, I know like it's great once I'm into it, but I have this anxiety around that I'd love to get rid of. And and that happens a lot too. You can be already a a well-paid speaker and be managing your fear because you don't realize that there is something else you can do to, to clear that away, so you can just be fully present, just loving the, the opportunity and the honor of getting to speak to people. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that it seems like, you know, I mentioned to you before that practice would be a panacea for fear. And in fact, for some people that could be, you know, over time, a couple of years or whatever, doing Toastmasters or, you know, just getting out there a lot, you'll eventually come to a place where you say, you know, I really love this now. Some people don't want to wait that long. And for some people, it just doesn't happen. Like for me, I don't think it would have happened. I think I would have just managed my fear better and better, but it would have always been there. But it's almost like the management of the dealing or the the getting rid of the fear is a different process than practicing for a talk. It's different than the skills. It overlaps, but it's not exactly the same. For instance, I had a client who was asked to give a webinar for an overseas team. She's a, a writer for the company. And uh her boss loved her writing and had for years been saying, please, please give a training for other writers because we want them to know what you know and do what you do. And she was terrified, terrified of talking to more than two people at a time. And she, even though she had accepted to do this in the summer and the event was in January, she was so terrified that she didn't do anything about it for five months. Mm. So, Five weeks before the webinar, she called me up and said, help. (laughs) I said, no problem. This is actually a window of five weeks is a perfect amount of time, five or six weeks. And what we dug up was two things. One thing was really obvious to her. She knew this was a problem. She just didn't know how to deal with it. And it was that she had been a singer, a very natural singer as a child, Her parents sent her to music conservatory and because she was so good, she was picked to work with this, um, guest vocal masterclass. And when she went up on stage, she said this guy tore her singing apart phrase by phrase. And she was, she was devastated. And more than that, she became afraid of singing. And in her next performance, she lost her place in the middle, got so tense and couldn't find her way back in. And she left the stage and she never went back. And that was a travesty. She Because she kind of gave up on her whole dream of being a singer. So that was one thing, which was in her conscious mind. She thought, oh, it probably has something to do with this. The other thing that she hadn't connected was that she came from a large family with... Um, She had six brothers, and her father, in his attempt to control the family, had family meetings, and he started them like this. Family meeting has begun. No more laughing, no more fun. If you show your teeth or tongue, there will be a forfeit. Now, it's kind of like a rhyme, and the kids used to laugh, and then they got punished. And she was terrified by making a noise. And what she learned was that if I'm quiet, I'm safe. If I make noise, I'll get in trouble. So she's carrying this unconscious belief in herself for all these years, not realizing the impact that it's had. What happens is that the further we get away from our experiences, we may not remember all the details, but our body remembers because we, we, it's not just a, a, a disembodied idea in our heads, our memories. It's something that has feeling and physicality. So that's why you might sometimes people say, "I don't know why I just got in a bad mood." Well, probably they had a thought that might have been a memory, and it kind of changed their mood. And they don't even catch—they don't catch it. We don't. It's like our thats the brilliance of our brains—that we kind of like compress. Our experiences and have these little shortcuts or um, you know of that connect us back so anyway we were able to clear that away I use things like EFT visualization forgiveness Um, I gather just enough evidence and specifics so that we can clear it away it's not like talk therapy where you might talk for you know weeks about a particular experience I'm more about um, let's um, decouple the emotional physical part to the mem- of, to the thought memory so that when you have that memory, you don't have the same embodied trigger. So when she got to that day of the webinar, she felt really composed and excited. She did a great job. There were 70 people on. Her boss was delighted. He said, will you do this again? She said, Yes. And I spoke to her recently, a couple of months ago, it was two years later, and I said, has the fear ever come back? She said, never. She said, it's like, once that was resolved, it was resolved. And now she, her, she's been, um, her work has changed and she actually leads groups of 40 people at a time doing all kinds of um, trainings at her work. And she said, it's the best thing that she gets to do. She loves working wow. with large groups and that, and what I I want you to hear for our listeners to hear from that is she didn't do five webinars or 25 webinars or 50 to get over her yeah. fear. No, she was ready on webinar number one. Mm-hmm. Now that didn't mean that she didn't need to practice her material. Right. Yes. Now delivery is a different skill. You know, Creating your content is a different skill. That was her skill. She knew the content that was never the problem. It was the internal experience.
0: And that's a really great uh, difference because there are some people who they just accept fear on the stage because you hear about some of these people who they've been speaking for 20 years and they're like, Oh, the fear like never really goes away. Uh, but I feel like if we tap deep, uh, into the root cause of that fear, uh, it's, it's that's how you solve a fear. I mean, other than that, it just keeps showing up again and again uh, because no matter how good you are at public speaking, how often you speak, that root cause is always going to be there unless you cut down the root, and then you're able to uh, like not be fearful when going up to a hundred people and then two hundred people, then maybe even a thousand or even more than that as you advance on your speaking career. So definitely really great stuff on how to. Uh, approach uh, like having that fear with public speaking because it could be something much deeper Uh, one of the things that I do want to tackle during this episode I like doing this in each episode because I feel like there's a lot to learn uh, for this so I'm wondering if you could share with us some of your uh, public speaking habits that you say have helped you
1: what I love doing the best is visualization this is something that top athletes do a lot of performers do visualizing how you want to feel and how you want yourself to look in your performance and i actually have a free download for this if i'm permitted to share this with your audience it's a guided visualization for speaking confidence it's 10 minutes long and it it helps you get into a very relaxed place in your body from which you can Then in that very relaxed place, which is kind of like repatterning this, uh, instead of tension, a sense of relaxation and ease, seeing yourself on stage or in front of a crowd just the way you want to be. Feeling the kinds of feelings that you want to be feeling, having the gestures you want, seeing how the audience responds, seeing how people talk to you afterwards. And it's not like this is going to like, work out exactly as you envision, but what you are doing is paving the way for a new experience to happen because what we are creatures of habit and habit is a neurological, neurophysiological pattern. Yes, <laughs> got that word out. So what we are doing with visualization is creating new neurophysiological patterns. Now it's easier to do when you have done the clearing of that psychic closet stuff. But even without doing that, you will gain a lot of groundedness and security for your next talk. I've gotten a lot of feedback from people who have not worked with me personally, but have used that visualization and with great results.
0: And I really like the visualization piece because when you visualize success, it feels more tangible versus if you don't have that visualization, you're just hoping for success and you don't really know what it looks like. So uh, definitely really awesome habit for us. Uh, That guided visualization that Linda was talking about, uh, that will be in the show notes. So whether you're watching us on YouTube, that's in the description or on iTunes or anywhere else that's in the show notes. Uh, my site will have it as well. Uh, so, I mean, that's a really great resource for us. Strongly recommend it. Uh, for anyone else who wants to find you, though, where else uh, should we go?
1: My website, all oh, my social media is Linda Ugalow, U-G-E-L-O-W. You can find me on pretty much any platform except for Pinterest. I'm not on Pinterest.
0: <laughs> Linda, thank you so much for sharing all of your great resources and all of your great insights with us. It was such a pleasure to have you on the Profitable Public Speaking Podcast.
1: It was my honor, Mark. Thanks for having me on.